0: Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12-plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the teaching series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context, and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there and welcome to part six in our Bread of Life series. I am so thrilled to be able to share with you the teaching from this week, because this is the week, if you're watching or listening to this on the release week, this is the week that we celebrate the last week of Jesus's earthly life. And there are so many amazing events around that, that, man, all we're going to do is just tackle one facet of it in the teaching today. But hey, real quick, before we jump into the teaching, if you are just loving the context way of studying the Bible, if you've been looking for an opportunity, to grow in your ability to understand context, I've got a really great opportunity for you. It is the Institute of Biblical Context Conference that some friends of mine and I are putting on in West Michigan in June. It is all on this last week of Jesus's earthly life, and we'll tackle the resurrection and all kinds of things surrounding this. But if you're not familiar with the Institute of Biblical Context, go to instituteofbiblicalcontext.com check out the conference. This is our third year. Every year we tackle a totally new set of subject matter and teachings. And this year we're doing the last days of Jesus. And so I just felt like it was fitting to tell you about this as we're celebrating this week, the last week of Jesus's earthly life. And so um, check it out at institutebiblicalcontext.com. Would love to see you in West Michigan in June. All righty. So we have been in this Bread of Life series. I hope that you have been enjoying it. Uh, we have just tackled so many different stories from lots of different angles, and in many ways, they all come together in the teaching we're going to do Today and what we're going to do is continue on with what we looked at last week in John six and so this John six thirty five passage where Jesus says I'm the bread of life we've been centering ourselves around this passage for this Lenten season going up to Resurrection Sunday coming on Sunday but this is a really rich chapter in the Gospel of John and so last week we tackled a good. of John 6, as we talked about John giving us more to the feeding of the 5,000 stories. Like this is an extension that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not give us. And so we talked about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life and what that meant in the midst of the Jewish people's circumstances and how Jesus wasn't meeting their expectations. And there was a gap between expectation and reality and what happens in those moments where we think or anticipate or hope God. God is going to do something, and he doesn't, and we just find ourselves in these precarious circumstances, that's what we tackled last week. And so if you haven't had a chance to watch or listen to that, I would just highly recommend you do that. Um, You'll be able to understand today's teaching just fine, but having that as a context will just add even more to the significance of what we're tackling in the episode today. But where I'm going to pick this up is I'm going to pick this up in John chapter 6, verse 51. And so this is where Jesus is continuing on. We're in the midst of a conversation he's having with the people in the Capernaum synagogue. And it goes like this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, this is called a mic drop moment. Like, Jesus drops the mic. Everybody's going... What? I mean, this is like, is he talking about cannibalism? Is he talking about flesh and blood? And it's like, it's so grotesque. I mean, if you're brand new to the Bible and you're hearing this for the first time, you're going, what is going on? And Jesus continues on with this just abrasive language. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So it says if the story just drops off and Jesus stops talking and everybody is aghast to what he has just said. Now, what in the world are we to make of this? How do we understand this language, this visceral language of Jesus? Well, on the one hand, let's talk about who's writing this. This is John, and John has an audience that John is recording these stories of who Jesus was and what he did in order to benefit his Audience. So let's just take a few moments and let's just talk about who's John. Who's John's audience? And so last week we talked about the synoptic gospels—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—and how synoptic is a word that means to view alongside of one another. And we said that John is ninety percent new material, and we said there was a reason for that, and one of the reasons was because. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their biographies long before John did, probably at least two decades before John. So John doesn't have to rehash what these guys have already done. So John can go deeper into certain stories or talk about other things that they didn't do. But in part, that's because of John's audience. And so let's look at who John's audience is. And in a way, let's talk about who all of the gospel writers are writing to. So here are the, the regions around the Mediterranean Sea in the first century world. Here are the four largest cities in the Roman Empire in the first century. You've got Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, and then Ephesus. And Mark, Mark is almost certainly writing from Alexandria, and he writes to Rome. And so Mark, many people believe that he wrote first, maybe in the 50s or early 60s. Some people dispute who's writing first, but Mark is covering Alexandria and Rome. Luke is covering Greece and Macedonia. And so this is where Luke is most likely writing to. Uh, Matthew is probably writing to Antioch, that's in Syria today, Um, excuse me, it's called Syrian Antioch, um, but it's actually in southeast Turkey today. And then you also then have John, and John is writing to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is the major city in the western part of present-day Turkey, but in the ancient world, Asia Minor. And these are other cities that are in and around Ephesus. And for those of you who know Revelation, you will go, wait a minute, those are the seven churches of Revelation. Exactly. These are all in a concentrated area of a Roman province called Asia, which is in the western part of what was called Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey today. Yes, I know, confusing, but that's just how it is. Now, John writes to Ephesus, but Ephesus is in relationship to these other cities, and I believe that what you find in an archaeological excavation in Pergamum, potentially they're going to find that in some of these other cities as well, but I just want to show you one thing that they found in Pergamum, because I believe that John's gospel would have circulated to these seven churches' areas. And in Pergamum, in the archaeological excavation, they found what they just simply call Podium Hall. And this is a structure dedicated to the cult of the Greek god Dionysus. He was called Bacchus in Roman terms, but he was uh, the Greek god Dionysus. And in this area, the worshipers would sacrifice on this altar meat, so animal flesh, and they would consume the flesh of an animal that would have blood in it, and they would be drinking wine as well, and it was a ritual that the Dionysian cult followers went through in order to identify with the God, to give allegiance and identification with the God. And I believe that for John's audience, when Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, I think instantly they would have understood that Jesus is saying, you have to identify with me completely. Because in the context of the story, as we looked at last week, the people had certain expectations around what Jesus was going to do, and Jesus wasn't fitting their expectations. And I believe in many ways what Jesus was saying was, you need to take me on my terms, not on your terms. And you go, yeah, I totally get that. But again, you're You're talking about Jesus saying that in the midst of the Capernaum synagogue, and now we're talking about John's audience, you know, somewhere in the 90s AD. Yes, to make this point, when Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, I believe that John's audience would have got that, and John includes that. But I also believe that the reason why Jesus would have said this to this first audience is that they wouldn't have understood most likely what Jesus was saying, just not yet. And here's just a real quick observation I think we can all identify with. Jesus at times can be really difficult. Like Sometimes it's just really hard to understand what Jesus is doing, and that includes what Jesus is doing in our lives, that we just feel like we're supposed to do something, but we don't understand why. And maybe it's six months, maybe it's six years, maybe it's 25 years down the road that we go, oh, now I understand what Jesus was doing. I believe that's what Jesus is doing." right here. And Jesus is saying something that I believe is only going to make sense a little bit later on in the story, i.e. when Jesus gives his life for the world. Now, why do I say that? Well, here's a couple of things. One, notice that when Jesus says in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That when Jesus says, this is my body, eat my flesh and drink my blood, I believe he is talking about his sacrifice that is to come, the sacrifice that we celebrate on this week of the calendar year. And I believe what's more is that Jesus is not only alluding here to his death on the cross, I also believe he is referring to communion here. And here's why I believe that. And this is what was astounding to me. I never really understood this up until several months ago when I started comparing all of the gospels together, is that there is no communion, new covenant moment in the gospel of John. Now, that's shocking. I mean, for those of you who know the Gospel of John, like the Upper Room Discourse, the Last Supper, all the teachings Jesus does, it is like chapters longer than what Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And John takes all of this time talking about the Last Supper and then the the teachings that Jesus does, and he doesn't once mention Jesus talking about communion or the new covenant through his body and through his blood. Isn't that shocking? And you go, why would he do that? Like, why wouldn't John include that there? Well, one, again, let's be reminded, John doesn't have to rehash what the others are doing. I believe John is emphasizing different things, but I believe that including what Jesus says here in John 6, which is not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, this is the reference to communion. This is reference to the new covenant. And as we explored in last week's episode, this whole conversation that Jesus is having is during the time of Passover, where the pure unblemished lamb is sacrificed and the blood is painted over the doorpost of the Israelites back in Egypt. And this whole ritual of sacrificing a pure unblemished lamb and then eating a meal, being reminded that this is where salvation is found. I believe that Jesus is making a reference to this right here, right now, and the people aren't to understand and it's only going to be later and John doesn't include communion or new covenant because he's including this statement of Jesus. So here's what I want to do for the last part of this teaching is I want to look at the reference to communion and the new covenant And I want to start with this conversation in Matthew chapter 26, because Matthew is one of the places where we have the Last Supper, and Jesus talks about communion. He talks about this new covenant. So notice this in Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is... My body. Now, Luke will give us a little bit more and say, and do this in remembrance of me. The question I just want to ask is that when Jesus says, this is my body and he is holding bread. How would the disciples have understood what Jesus was talking about? Well, friends, we are dealing with a Passover Seder meal. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 12 and you read in Exodus 12 about this meal, you will be introduced to unleavened bread or the festival of unleavened bread that kicks off the Passover meal. And so when Jesus holds up bread, At the beginning of this series, I showed you this image in part one of bread. It would not have looked like this. The bread that Jesus is talking about when he says, this is my body, would have looked a lot closer to this. This is matzah bread. This is unleavened bread. This is what you ate during the Passover meal. Now, there's a couple of connotations here that are really spectacular, that when Jesus holds up unleavened bread and he says, this is my body, this would have meant something to the disciples in the room that day. Because in the Older Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, leaven or yeast was a picture of sin and or contamination. Now, there are times in the New Testament where leaven is used in a positive way. Jesus, we looked at one of the passages earlier in the series when Jesus talks about a woman who kneaded leaven into a batch, and he's talking about the positive nature and the influential nature of the kingdom of heaven. But in the Hebrew scriptures, unleavened bread is seen as being pure. Bread with leaven was seen as contamination or a picture of sin. So even in the tabernacle, when you go in into the first part of the tent area, you have the table of showbread, and that bread is unleavened bread. And so when Jesus holds up the matzah bread and he says, this is my body, Jesus is making a statement that his body is pure, it is unblemished, it is uncontaminated, and it's why it can be given for the entire world. (laughs) Ha ha, that's spectacular. But there's another component to this as well, that this bread has a name in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 16.3, notice how the commandment connected to the Passover and unleavened bread. It says, do not eat it with bread made with yeast, talking about the Passover Seder meal. But for seven days, eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste so that all of the days of your life, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Now, this bread did not symbolize affliction. It symbolized their freedom from the affliction. You see, back in the Exodus story, God says, I want you to make bread without yeast because I'm going to rescue and redeem you so quickly that bread that has yeast in it won't have time to rise. And so it's not the bread of affliction, meaning it represents the affliction. It's the bread that represented the freedom that God brought from the Israelites from their affliction. And so when Jesus holds up the bread and he says, this is my body, he's saying this is the pure, unblemished, sinless body that can be given for the world, and my body is going to be the symbol of your freedom. And that's the kind of bread he is holding up in this moment. Friends, this is, why, this is why it's so significant to understand what's going on from a contextual perspective to realize what kind of bread Jesus would be holding in this moment. But I want to take it now one step further, and this is where it just gets even more spectacular. Notice with me in this passage again, what Jesus does is says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, and by the way, this is blessing, so you bless God, you actually don't bless the food in the Bible. And some people go, well, how do you bless God? Well, the idea behind the word bless is to kneel or to bow. It's to acknowledge in that moment. And so Jesus isn't blessing the bread. He's actually blessing God. He's giving thanks, or the word can be to bless. So Jesus took bread. He gave thanks He broke it and he gave it to his disciples, say, take and eat. This is my body. So Jesus took bread and he blessed God. He broke it and then he gave it to his disciples and he says, this is my body. And then now check this out. Because we've been looking at some other stories in this series, namely the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And this movement isn't just in the Last Supper, where Jesus took, blessed, broke, and gave. Notice this the feeding of the 5,000 shows up in all of the Gospels. Let's look at Matthew's rendition. Because the feeding of the 4,000 shows up in both Matthew and Mark, so I also want to look at Matthew. But the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14, 19, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, he blessed God, he broke the loaves, and then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. It's the same four movements, And then the feeding of the 4,000 to the pagan people. Then he took the seven loaves, the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn gave it to the people. The same four actions are there as well. When Jesus took, blessed, broke, he gave. That as we've been exploring in this series, This bread that Jesus gives is not just bread in the moment. It was something so much more significant. And that as we've explored the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, this is to the Jews, to the Gentiles. It's for all people that Jesus went to a cross. And it's on this week where whether it is on Monday, Thursday, or maybe for some of you on a Good Friday service, we take communion And we're reminded that in the bread and in the cup that Jesus gave his body on our behalf. And I believe that one of the most significant things we can do during this week is just to slow down long enough to be reminded that the freedom we have, the gift of redemption is nothing we earned on our own. That this is something that the pure, unblemished Lamb of God could give On our behalf, that this is a week we celebrate that we have hope for today and for the future, because Jesus, who was the pure, sinless lamb of God, went to a cross on our behalf and conquered death on our behalf so that we could have life. And so, as you come around, whether Monday, Thursday or a Good Friday service, or you're just sitting in the passages this week around being reminded of Jesus's death, just be reminded that Jesus took bread, he blessed God, he broke it, and he gave it to you and me so that we could eat and that we could find hope both now and forevermore. May you celebrate our Savior well this week. May you be intimately reminded that the gift of life, both now and for eternity, is a gracious gift from God, who Jesus Christ went to the cross on behalf of all people, so that we may all take and eat and be nourished forever friends, may you bask in that truth this week, and may we celebrate our crucified Savior who went to a cross on our behalf. Friends, thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. May you have a rich, rich week. Amen.